Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information. So you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. All right. That's it. Now we're live. We're crushing this thing. I got to tell you, you're listening to this and you have no idea. But I got to tell you, this is going to be one of the best podcasts ever that I've ever done because my guest today is awesome. She is just full of energy and the topics we're going to talk about, amazing. She's a keynote speaker, a best-selling author. She's a brand guru, a brand impresario, evangelist. I saw this. I was born to brand, and so were you. I'm on a mission to inspire one million brands, to build brands that sell, and all sorts of craziness. And that two, The two best-selling books that I mentioned, Irrational Loyalty, which I just got to read based on the name, and two, Branding is Sex. Hello. That's the kind of podcast you're about to listen to. Let's get into this. The CEO and founder of Soul Marketing, Deb Gabor, welcome to the show. 
Oh, thank you so much for that introduction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been waiting my whole life for, for Oprah to introduce me and say, it's Deb Gabor. I almost feel what you did. It's Deb Gabor. Like, yeah, exactly. And you get a podcast and you get a podcast yes. and you get a podcast. Um, but that was an incredible introduction. Thank you. I really well, appreciate that. I mean, if you like, I can send you a video clip so you can use it as an alarm clock in the morning. You know, just hear my my positive awakening of you every morning people have yeah, done or, you know my iphone ringtone um, yeah. all those things so yeah let's cover, right as a ringtone yeah. so let's get to it the theme for today this is a marketing leadership series but we're talking brand we're talking we're smashing myths we're like killing misconceptions so i want to pass you this this is an imaginary thor's hammer that's because i have the real one but it's in the office so here's the imaginary Thor's hammer, take that, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception that just drives you crazy and you got to set the record straight. Yeah, I'm here to tell you that segment marketing is dead. Oh God, it's dead. Okay. It's dead? Like dead, dead? Like we should- You know, for, for brands, for brands, let's say okay. like having a brand that shows up different in different market segments is bullshit. Really? Right? Yeah, because the best brands in the world are the ones that aim the brand at this singular ideal archetypal customer, a customer who is most highly predictive of the organization's success, like the person who the brand is perfectly made for. Mm. And if there's one point in brand strategy that I get the most pushback on, it is the idea our brand can't be made for one single person. We serve men, we serve women, we serve right. companies of this size, we serve companies of this size. And, and really the misconception is that you're aiming your brand at a demographic target or if you're a B2B brand, a firmographic target. I'm here to tell you that you have to aim your brand regardless of who you are at a human being. So even yeah. if it's B2B stuff, and I work mostly with B2B technology companies and manufacturing yeah. distribution, stuff like that, you know, the people who are making these buying decisions are not nameless, faceless automatons. Right. They're actual right. human beings and they want to get laid. And so, right, I got your attention. Yeah. Didn't there I? we have it. I'm listening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they, they want to be a hero in their own story. And the best brands in the world are the ones that become part of that person. And so, you know, people, the biggest argument that I get from people, it is the most controversial area of my work is when people are like, I refuse to believe that I have to aim my brand at a singular ideal human being. I look at brands like, for instance, Nike. Nike is aiming their brand at the inner elite athlete inside of all of us, right? Whether they're selling athletic shoes to recreational runners who happen to be middle-aged women in Austin, Texas, like myself, or they're selling golf clubs to, you know, dudes in Massachusetts, or they're selling to the NFL or the, the NCAA, or, you know, an elite runner who is getting ready to, you know, do a hundred mile run or something like that. The brand is the brand is the brand is the brand is the brand. And everything they do ladders up to this singular archetypal human being that, that anchors that. Now, do I look just like that elite athlete? Am I a 19-year-old guy who, you know, who is at the peak of fitness, who, who could be a pro athlete? No, I'm not. But deep inside, they've done a really good job of stimulating an inner dialogue that makes me aspire to what the benefits of being like that would be about. So um, is that good for smashing a widely held institutional myth? Yeah, but we got to dive into this because like, right. hot damn. I mean, I, I, 
it's kind of like number one is like segmenting, right? You think, well, you got to divide up and conquer and you got to speak to, you know, every, the, I think you mentioned this too, the demographics, the firmographics, sometimes, especially in the B2B world, we're like, well, I've got buyers across healthcare and tech and financial services. And we kind of just zero in on the, the finances. But if you're saying you got a single, single architect, are we saying we get rid of all those other industries or are we sur surpassing them? Like what's the take? So, so what we're doing actually is instead of dividing, we're multiplying, right? Okay. So what we're looking for across all those industries and you laid out, you know, some of the top ones, you know, financial services, healthcare, yeah. uh, you know, retail distribution, uh, manufacturing, manufacturing, yeah. whatever, technology, et cetera, et cetera. There is a human being inside the company, the ideal company inside of every one of those industries that your brand is perfectly made for, whether they're in fintech, whether they're in you know, manufacturing, whether they're in like deep tech, whatever they are, there is a human being in there that is, that is perfectly suited for your brand, right? And the goal of figuring out who that person is, is to kind of take a walk a mile in their shoes. So it's more than it's more than a demographic profile. Usually it starts like this. It's like what is the ideal job title? And sometimes that, you know, that differs by market segment, but usually it's a person who who is in a particular kind of role. So what's their role? Right? Yeah. Who is that person? Who is most likely to fill that role? Is it a 45-year-old man? And and when I say this, I mean it's like it's a 45-year-old man and his name is Chris right? Yeah. And, yeah. and Chris has attitudes and behaviors and, um, you know, psychographics and he has goals. Like what's his goal? Is your ideal customer somebody who maybe had previously a bad experience with software vendors, right? And you exist there to like change his mind about that because you, you know, you, you have a completely different business model that, that potentially, honors that experience and elevates that for him so you can create that condition of irrational loyalty. But the process of figuring out who that ideal customer is, is one of the most powerful things that an organization can do. And in my experience doing this, I know you're not gonna believe this, I've been doing this for 30 years, but in my experience of doing this, because I know I look like I'm not even 30 years old, right? Especially on Zoom. Um, but in Especially my experience- Zoom. here, here. Uh, it, in my experience doing this, what, what I have seen is that the organizations that scaled the most rapidly and the most profitably were the ones who got focused on this. And the reason why is because if you can create an actual profile, and I make people draw it, that's what's really unpopular about it, but an actual profile <laughs> of who their ideal customer is, give that person a name, bring that person to your meetings, talk about that person, speak about that person, speak to that person when you're creating your, your strategy and your messaging and your marketing and all of that kind of stuff. And for my company, her name is Lindsay and she's based on a real client. It, the organizations that do that, what it does for them is it, it solves the problem of we're working with customers that we're over-servicing, okay. we're bleeding money, we're bleeding margin. Mm -hmm. um, we have, like for me, the way it plays out is that people sit at their desks like this and the, you know they have tufts of hair coming yeah. out of their heads, right? Yeah. So, and, and you know, it, they talk about the 80-20 rule, right? That 80% of your revenue should come from 20% of your customers. Yeah. You know, what if you took that 
and that 20%, you took it and you multiplied those 20% of the best customers across your entire business, can you imagine how much more rapidly you can scale? So knowing who that ideal customer is and having an actual picture, an image of who that person is and a likeness and knowing their story and knowing what's important to them, knowing what makes them sit up at night and sweat ice cubes, like their hopes, fears, dreams, desires, what makes them feel sexy, what their story is, what they want for their lives, their careers, all that kind of stuff means you can aim your brand directly at them. And more importantly, it helps you say no to shit. And right. you and I know because we run services businesses and we serve other businesses through services businesses, like it's really hard to say no. In fact, my company's number one core value is yes and. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And Improv. Hello. Hello. Yes. So yes and, like even if it's a no, like sometimes I tell people, like we have a saying at work, it's yes and, fuck no, Deb 316. But uh, <laughs> even when we say no, it's in a yes kind of way. So it's really easy to over-service clients, especially in a services business. We want to please everybody. We want to make everybody a hero. The, the, having the ideal customer profile is a hedge against that. Like mm -hmm. I can always refer to, is this particular client, do they fit this profile like at least 75%? Am I gonna lose my shirt by, you know, knowing that this person needs a lot more assistance? Or, you know, for our company, it's really important that whoever we're working with is able to actually use what we do for them. Because, you know, there are marketing agencies that are all about like just putting the train on the tracks and keeping it there, right? And they take orders and they're like, I need, you know, the client says, I need to this or I need to that. I know that in order for us to do our best work, people are coming to us. Like the unique thing about us is they get a kick in the ass. They get driven, they get led. They are, you know, gonna, they're going to do hard things. Like core value number two is we do hard things, right? The, the work of branding is really, really hard. I need the right kinds of customers who I know also we do hard things. Right. So, you know, like I said, it's unpopular because people have a really hard time getting their head around this idea that my brand is made for one, you know, spectacularly qualified individual human being, but branding is strategy and strategy is about choice. I am sold on this concept, the fact that it multiplies and you're, you're not, you're restricting some, but you're really just eliminating the, the non-profitable things, the things that aren't a fit where you're not serving them well. Could you talk me through sort of the practical steps of how do, how do you isolate this? You know, how, cause it seems like that's the hard part where people probably just like give up and email industries instead, cause it just seems easier. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the places to look, if you're an established business, one of the places to look is like, look at your financial results, right? Look okay. at the clients who, who have, you know, the highest retention rates that have the highest customer lifetime value, the client relationships that are growing, right? Um, it, you know, that's the first place to look and, and try to understand like, what are the characteristics that the people, the purchase influencers in those businesses, what do they have in common? Right. Right. Um, I also recommend that you do some discovery work. And, and that means you, you go out and actually ask people, uh, not just your own customers or your own clients, but ask other people who sort of fall into the realm of people who would be acceptors of what you are selling mm -hmm. and ask them, uh, you know, what's important to you when you make a decision about blank? What are the brands that you think are doing a really good job at delivering on those attributes? What 
attributes do you perceive my brand has? What do you think is the uniqueness about my brand? What am I not delivering to you that you think you need? What are you not getting today from your current vendor, your current provider, all of that kind of stuff? And you'll start to get clues about what that person is. And then if you don't know the answers to the question of like, what do they care about? And what are their hopes, fears, dreams, desires? What's the story they're trying to create for their lives? You freaking ask them, right? I, you just you know, straight up we, ask them, what's, what's the story you're trying to create for your life? Or do you kind well, of I mean, you ask it in a more client-friendly way, yeah, but yeah. I ask questions like, I'm like, hey, tell me a little bit about, you know, what are your goals here? What are your individual personal goals? Like, what, what is it that you're trying to achieve? How will you know mm -hmm. that you made the impact you want in this job that you're in today? This is specifically how you might ask like a B2B buyer, right? Yeah. And so, for instance, I told you that our ideal customer, her name is Lindsay. She's based on a real client that we've had in our business. I've worked with her probably for 12 years. She's been wow. at two different clients that we've worked with. She's been promoted throughout her career. And now she's the chief marketing officer of a mid-cap growth uh, supply chain software company that, like, with, you know, the current challenges of COVID-19 is blowing up, wow. right? Right. And you know, we created a profile of her. And, and when I say like, draw it, I mean, draw it. So, you know, with some clients, I'm like, get out the butcher paper, roll it out. Somebody lays down, you trace around them and you draw them. But like, if they're a good listener, they have big ears. If they have a lot of money, have them standing on a giant pile of money, have them holding a bag of money. One of the things that's amazing about her, she's incredibly metrics driven. So she's got a chart on her desk that shows a graph, right? Also, she's really resourceful. So she's got like this pocketbook with a big Swiss army knife in it that has like a hundred tools on it she also has the magic golden shovel and what the magic golden shovel is is the shovel that she uses to dig for more budget for when we add value to her life and her processes and where she's going in her career she can always dig for more money right, right. and so it's a visual like i actually had one of my creatives like make an infographic out of her like design an infographic we we it's part of our indoctrination process with our with our employees it it's part of like every conversation that we have about strategy and because we have a visual bead on who this person is and we know her like very intimately and we've had drinks with her and yeah. and we you know we know what makes that a great client relationship we can look at our new prospects for shades of lindsay Ah, shades of Lin like, hey, do you see Lindsay in, in this person? Tell, tell me about, because sometimes you can learn more about when it doesn't fit. Have you encountered someone recently that isn't like, is like the opposite of Lindsay? And does that person have a name? Is that like George? Sorry, George. Um, <laughs> like, you know, like, how do you, and maybe that'd be a good learning lesson for the team to know, like, no, this is like not Lindsay at all. This is why we have Lindsay, because this person is like, God bless them. They're not a fit. Yeah, um, we recently fired a client, Okay. which, um, you know, I'll say like, as an aside, this is when you really know that you have arrived as an agency leader, mm. you know, uh, is that when you're in a position where you feel okay letting a client go because it doesn't, it doesn't serve you and your team very well. So that's just right. an aside for the agency people who might be listening to this. Um, it, it's very empowering. And I will say like, it really, really earns the trust and alignment of my team. 
um, to, you know, to go to bat for them, but the conversation that we, that we needed to have. So I told you a little bit about Lindsay and what she's like, she's metrics driven, she's results focused. She doesn't get all up in our, in our business and like in our shit. Um, she, she trusts us implicitly. She's a person who can convey, you know, here's what my goals are for this. We can, we, we know what the expectations are that we need to hit and that she really trusts us to like drive her and her team towards those results. By the same token, you know, clients who don't have those characteristics, that's a miserable fail for us. So this client that we, that we had to, I mean, and when I say we fired her, like we fired her, we are like, this is not a good fit. The conversation I had with her was very similar to the last conversation I had to have with an employee that I encouraged to pursue excellence elsewhere, which was <laughs> right. sort of like, you know, there's, I think there's another place for you. Um, and, and the characteristics that she, like that she had that were not Lindsay-like were A, she was not purpose and mission driven. Her only goal, her only stated goal was to make as much money as she could. And one of the things that we learned was like our Lindsay has a higher purpose. Like she's purpose driven, she's mission oriented and whatever. So that was the first thing. The other thing was like being able to use what we give her. So for this particular person, we were doing like a whole brand identity and brand platform and go to market strategy and all that kind of stuff. And um, she, she couldn't, she couldn't give, feedback on the things that she didn't like and she didn't like anything and instead of trusting us and and trusting our point of view she would do things like take the visual identity work in progress like you know here here are five here are five comps for a logo concept or whatever and she would take that shit and she would she would share it with other people who a were not her target audience or her ideal customer. Oh, right. Some random homies on Facebook. Like, hey. Random homies on Facebook are my favorite. I ask my boyfriend what he thinks. I'm like, who's right. your effing boyfriend? Right. Right? Is yeah, he your target audience? No, he's not. You're for middle-aged yeah. women who are stuck. That I've was her that. audience. You share it right? on Facebook. And you're like, Facebook, what do you think? It's like, who's your who's your your audience? Like, who are you trying to talk to? Who's your Lindsay? I'm not your Lindsay. I mean, don't listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, so, so... Uh, I think like I can create a picture for, for what it feels like to be somebody's ideal customer or to not be somebody's ideal yeah. customer. So I think all the time, like as I go about my life consuming brand messages, uh, just, you know, on my way to work, I don't know, I see like 17 or 18 different brand messages. Sure. Uh, at, like on the internet, like my, my commute to work is like the 20 feet from my bedroom to the dining room these days. But, uh, you know, most of, my, most of my brand impressions happen on the internet right now. Um, it's really easy for me. Like I get, I get jarred. I get emotionally jarred when I see something that I'm like, these people don't know me at all. Right. So that feeling of like, these people don't know me at all. It's like, I'm not the target audience for this. I think every time I see a freaking Skittles ad, I'm like, what the actual fuck was that? (laughs) And then I remember, I'm like, when is the last time Deb Gabor, you ate a freaking pack of Skittles? Right. Right. Whereas I see that and I go, I see what you're doing there. I want some Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you might be the ideal, you might be the ideal customer. For that. Now, I am the ideal customer for Girl Scout cookies, and I'm so bummed that Girl Scout cookie season is over. Hell yeah. Right? Hell yeah. Um, but isn't everyone, do they have an ideal, do they have an ideal buyer for, or just like feed the masses? So I, I imagine that the ideal customer for Girl Scout cookies is yeah. somebody who wants 
wants an indulgence to satisfy like a yearly craving because there's yeah. scarcity built into yes. that, right? Yeah. And and I'm imagining it's somebody, she's probably a 41-year-old woman. And when she buys the Girl Scout cookies, she buys multiple boxes of them. And she hides that one box of thin mints in her closet. And she goes in there and closes the door and she eats them directly out of the sleeve on her own. But yeah. she shares the rest of them with everybody else, right? Right. Right. And so if you know, if you know that this is the magic of the ideal customer archetype, if you know who your ideal customer is, the story that they're trying to create for their lives, the challenges, the pain, the opportunities, what makes them sad, what makes them feel great, what makes them feel connected, what kind of emotions they have, all of that kind of stuff, you can aim your marketing directly at them. Yeah. And I your think, brand is about yeah, them, not about you. And, and kind of to, to tie into Nike, I think we all have our inner 41-year-old woman who wants to hide in the closet and eat Thin Mints um, yes. once a year. Just once a year. Just but once my, a year. My local supermarket has store brand Thin Mints, and I've validated that they taste exactly the same. Which, is it Hannaford? It is Hannaford. Will you get me some of those, please? Yeah. How do you know about this? Do you? Uh, so I used to I used to do summers up in uh, Northampton, New Hampshire. Yeah. When I was younger, like in Rye, Portsmouth area, in Northampton, Hampton Beach, and it is Hannaford. Uh, Hannaford, Hannaford is like the local is the local place, and then dear friends of ours and family members in Manchester. So. Um, that's the place. And, and, uh, I, yeah. So like, if you can hook me up with some of those, like, I'll hook you, up. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in right now with COVID times, like a lot of, a lot of my free time is spent sitting on the floor of my closet. First lamenting the fact that I can't wear the, the 4,500 pairs of really exquisite designer shoes I own <laughs> because like, this is what I have available to me right now. Right. Like mommy, um, and, wear me. And you're like we can. We're not going. Yeah, anywhere. exactly. So, so, so the other activity is like I'm, I'm hiding out from my pets, from my partner, like munching down on Girl Scout cookies. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 We'll have to hook you up on that. So, you know, for example, like, um, you know, my company, you do a lot of work with Pardot and Salesforce, and and so as I'm thinking about what you're talking about, historically we've worked, we've helped everyone work with. Pardot, who wants to work with it. But I get the sense that not only are we looking for people that want to work with it, but it's almost like the core values of the people you want to work with align to your own. You mentioned the higher purpose, they trust you, um, they're certain, they can actually execute on the things you're, you're bringing them. So it, it's kind of like, who are we really good fit for? More, is it more than just the top line? Like you said, start with a the, the bottom line really you know, who is driving revenue but is it like that venn diagram of who's driving revenue and who does the team actually like working with and who, well the who, team should you know the team should like them right yeah i mean if you know if they're the right client if that's part of your client criteria it certainly is for us you know it's part of our client criteria we have to be proud to represent yeah. that client and right. and we have to actually picture ourselves working with that client every day. And we have some techniques that we use as a team to match like the account people to the clients that I'll talk about in a minute. But like back to this idea of like aligning with values, like one yeah. of my mantra is that a brand is a magnet, right? And your brand is, an, is, is the magnet that's designed to attract to it human beings who share values and beliefs that are aligned with your own. So for instance, you mentioned Pardot and Salesforce. So if you think back to the early days of Salesforce, it was a very particular kind of organization that mm -hmm. adopted Salesforce because Salesforce was a disruptor. 
right? Yeah. Salesforce came in, turned the industry on its head, basically, you know, invented the category of SaaS. Yeah, cloud, what? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about the brand of Salesforce, it attracted a very, and it still attracts a very, a, like a very particular kind of human being. Like you go to Dreamforce, right? People who yeah. are Salesforce enthusiasts, like this, this is like a rock show for people, right? Yeah. These are people who view themselves as disruptors mm, and as disruptive, right. right? And so that's a really, really good example. I think about my clients who are using Salesforce. We have a huge client. It's one of the largest companies in the world that is undergoing a digital transformation where they're going off of Eloqua, a, 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 like a multi, multi-million dollar license of Eloqua that they have had since version one through version wow. 10 or 11, and they're moving to Salesforce, right? Wow. And this was a client, this was a company, a tech company that I never imagined would make the switch because they were a tech company that that their brand was was very much in the like, you know, we're sort of this the stable safety net for everybody, right? right? We're the you know, we're the reliable choice. And then when I saw that they were evolving and they were going through a digital transformation to create a marketing stack that included all of the capabilities of mm. Salesforce, I was like, they're signaling to the world that they are making a change. Interesting. Yeah. You, yeah, it like, and it's almost, what is it, like the secret or whatever? It's like whatever you're putting out, you're getting in, like whatever kind of things you're putting out there with your brand, you're attracting. So if you have a shitty brand, maybe you'll get shitty. But if you have this like, we're fun or we're, you know, you know, forward-looking so, like Salesforce and yeah. yeah. And it's more than that. I mean, it, okay. like I, I explain to people all the time and we cover the, I cover this extensively in both branding as sex and in irrational loyalty, but brands are like people, right? Okay. They, they come to the table full of a set of values and beliefs. And right now during COVID time, we sure are seeing like, you know, the values and beliefs of certain brands. Like yesterday, the big news was um, you know, about some huge restaurant chains who were able to take advantage of the loophole extension on PPP loans to be able to qualify for like, you know, multi, multi-million dollar loans, those Jeez. being Potbelly Sandwich and uh, Danny Meyer Shake Shack and uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? And so the interesting thing was there was a lot of conversation going on about that, where people were being critical of these organizations mm. saying like, you know, if you have $140 million of reserves in the bank, you shouldn't be applying for loans that are taking food off the table right. small business owners right. like, like Casey and Deb, right? Yeah. And the interesting thing that ensued was that, like, I haven't heard anything from Ruth's Chris. I mean, now, never mind the Ruth's Chris brand. If you're familiar with them, it's a steakhouse chain yeah. and it's all over the United States. It's the third best steakhouse and steakhouse in second rate cities is basically what it is uh, we haven't fine. heard anything from them at all right who we right. did hear from was danny meyer from shake shack who caved to the wave of public opinion and said i'm going to give this back right see now, i didn't know all that story i just heard they gave it back so i'm just thinking oh these are like nice guys but it sounds like they had a little social pressure to yeah they they caved to social pressure which yeah. you know my question is uh, those of you who have your heads up Danny Meyer's ass because you think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread and whatever, why did he apply for the freaking loan in the first place? In the first place. Right? right. So, so this is what I'll say is that brands don't often tell you what you need to know about them. Mm. They show you. They show you. 
They show they you. Show. And so the brands that are showing you what they're made of right now by all of them doing the same freaking commercial that starts with quiet piano music oh, and a montage God. of people hugging each other and people walking around in masks and ends with hashtag we're in this together. They're showing us that they have nothing meaningful to say. Right. Right. Like it just pisses me off seeing that shit. I'm like, come on, play to the heartstrings and oh, just gross. Well, and likewise, the emails, like I got 7,000 of these emails in my inbox that yeah. like the headline is we are all in this together. Um, an important message from our CEO. So like dear client or dear customer that you didn't even know we had your email address for the last seven years. If you need a floor lamp, a table, a lawn chair, a light ringer, an Aston Martin, we're here for you. Oh, yeah. by the way, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody. Also, let me tell you what we're doing for our employees, which you didn't even know existed until this current moment. And, and listen, we're, I'm the CEO of this company. I'm on Richard Branson's yacht right now, but I'm here. Uh, right. And so like the, the brands that are, that right. are showing up like that, like I said, they very rarely tell you what you need to know. They always show you. Always and so brands are like people. It's like, if, you know, if, if we're in a friendship and, and, you know, like you show up late every single freaking time we make arrangements to go out for a drink. I'm like, Casey doesn't value my time. You never said that. Mm. You never said it, but you showed me. So this, it, it, it's really important that people understand, like, so this, I, to tie it back to the ideal customer yeah. archetype, yeah. how this works is like, are, are you in, are you in a relationship? Are you married? You have, you've yeah, married two kids. Yeah, totally. Married two kids. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm assuming that your that your, your spouse is your ideal customer. Yes. For, for you. Yes. So brands are in an interpersonal relationship, right? And this okay. is, this is how this ties to this idea of irrational loyalty. You're in this interpersonal relationship, like with your wife. Yeah. Um, I personally have a pet peeve. I like the dishwasher loaded in a particular way, very particular way. Hashtag tines up. Like the fork tines go up, right? No Every shit. Time, Why do you like the tines up? Is there so some they get clean, that? so they don't get all tangled with each other and have Does shit it clean on better them than if you have the tines down. It it matters. It matters because they all get tangled with each other. Have I, you, you know, maybe tested this? Do you know? Don't go there with me. All right, keep going. Right. But it's a very particular way that I like <laughs> I to have you. dishwasher that I like to have the dishwasher loaded. Okay. And you know, I've shared that with, with my partner. And every time he loads the dishwasher, he now does it with the times up. But um, we, we, have, we have a relationship where we share values. We have a relationship where we've set expectations for each other and we've made promises to each other mm. where all of our behaviors, all of our actions are, are like contributing to the development and the growth of this emotional bank account. So every time Eric loads the dishwasher correctly, it adds to the bank account. Every time, every time he takes the pets into the other room so I can do a webinar or a podcast interview or whatever, he, he deposits into right. the emotional bank account. The emotional bank account that we have with one another is in the positive round. Yeah. When he forgets to load the dishwasher with the times up and I have to go in behind him and turn all of the forks over or whatever, yeah. I don't kick him out on his ass. Right. 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 That is irrational loyalty. People 
and interpersonal relationships who, who have established that positive emotional bank account. And how do you get a positive emotional bank account? It's by like setting expectations, delivering on those expectations, showing up with a set of values and beliefs and aligning those values and beliefs with another person. You have to know who your ideal customer is, right? So brands that have developed this irrational loyalty are the ones that are going to thrive now and in a post-pandemic world, right? Yeah, these are the ones like I I think about I think about the brands right now that are out there like just trying to hammer me with sales messages, showing no acknowledgement of the human condition or the situation that we're in right now. They're Hashtag fucking up the irrational loyalty. Yeah. The right? worst. Yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to give a brand a pass if they do one of those stupid ads or they sent me one of these stupid you know, we're all in this together emails. Cause I know as a brand crisis expert, I know that people don't know what to say. And yeah. often the first thing they go to is like, what is everybody else doing? And that's right. what happened. Yep. I'm willing to give those brands who otherwise are adding value to my life and depositing into our yeah. emotional bank account together. And that we're otherwise aligned. I, I'm willing to give them a pass. And that's, that's why irrational loyalty is something that's going to sustain people during this time. So for instance, let's say you have a business that can't operate right now, or right. you you like you you're I think about I think about the I colored my own hair the other day I think about like my hairdresser right oh hell yeah I like know. she's you know she's in a business that that people can't even patronize right now however she is communicating with me with valuable information you know Deb if you are going to color your hair at home here's five tips here's what you should buy here's what you should do and then wow. you know what like I'm happy to talk you through this on FaceTime right add value to my life wow. additionally you know she she's like i i suspect that as soon as we're open for business that you're going to want to get in early you know make sure that like here's here's five sites that you can use to explore new hairstyles that are you know that are going to be appropriate wow. for your hair that's now six inches longer than it i was. know i know mine too right the so, best example of this irrational loyalty concept is a little brand of ice cream that comes from texas like right near my hometown this is bluebell ice cream I don't think you guys have that up there in the, in the Northeast, but um, we in Texas feel about Bluebell ice cream like y'all feel about Dunkin' Donuts, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's truly an obsession. And so, right. so, you know, Bluebell ice cream doesn't have to market themselves on the basis of we have milk and we're cold and we're sweet, right? They don't talk about the product. It's memories, expectations, a relationship. So when Bluebell ice cream had this massive listeria breakout in their plant oh, back God. in 2014, I think, and several people died from Holy using shit. the product. They did everything right to create a rational loyalty. Did they, they kill people with ice cream? How did they fix that? Well, how they fixed that was what all brands need to be doing right now. So how they fixed that? First of all, they took responsibility. This is our fault. We own this. We're fully accountable for this. They showed regard for humanity. They're like, yeah. this, this is completely unacceptable. You know, everything for, for the families and the victims and all this kind of stuff. So in addition to the three people dying, many people got sick. They immediately closed their plant. They invited in investigators to help them figure out what was the origin of this. And, and the, the plant was closed for two years, closed for two years. What Holy they did crap. during those two years is what defines a brand. So the plant was closed. They couldn't produce the ice cream coming from Bluebell. However, they took out a loan of $125 million. They continued to pay every single employee who worked there. Damn. For the entire time. They continued to communicate. They were like, 
We have no information about when the plant is going to open up. Just know that we're committed. We've taken full responsibility. Here's when we're going to update you. So they set expectations. They fulfilled those expectations, right? All of those things. They isolated the problem. They got rid of the problem. When Bluebell ice cream came back on the market two years later, people were lined up out the door, down the street, wow. around the corner to get their hands on a half gallon of ice cream because you could only get one. And you want to guess what flavor it was? What? Vanilla. It was just plain vanilla. People are so irrationally loyal to this brand because of the memories and the nostalgia and the connections and the happiness and, and all of those emotional just things. Wanted, this was yeah. a brand that was able to bridge the gap. Now, here's, you know, here's the coda on the story. This is a brand that is expanding rapidly. So it used to be like a regional Texas brand. Mm -hmm. It's now expanded to like 11 more states. They've added 22 more flavors, including wow. my personal favorite, which is peppermint stick, which is available only at Christmas time. Oh. You know, so... Um, it, these are the lessons that we can learn during this particular time. It's like, think about how do I, how do I create that condition of irrational loyalty? Aim your brand at that singular ideal customer, become part of the person who uses it, make them feel like they can't live without you, be indispensable to them. Ultimately be indispensable to them, add value to their lives, right? Your brand is about them. It's not about you deposit into the emotional bank account with your behaviors. Be consistent. That's why the ideal customer archetype is so important. It gives you that consistency. If you know who you are for, you'll know how to behave. So, you know, brands are like people and they can engender this irrational loyalty. I think I explained to you the first time we talked, irrational loyalty is how I feel about my iPhone, right? Oh that, yeah, me too. I got one. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've owned every eye thingy ever made, right? Yeah. I think we have the same color one. That's so cool. Really? Um, Oh, is yours white? Mine is yeah. the, mine is green. Oh, you you got see I only have one camera right now and it's broken. Oh. But what am I gonna do? Oh, I'm sorry. But here's the thing. Tim I know that you're gonna go buy another iPhone. You're not gonna yeah. go buy a Samsung Galaxy, whatever. And so Definitely quick not. story about that. Be like a, a sin. couple of years a couple of years ago, I was like, I wanna buy one of these new Samsung things that looks really freaking cool. It's cheaper, it's better performance, it has <laughs> memory, it has, more, it has more storage, it has more durable glass, cause I'm a klutz. And I went to Best Buy, there was even a very well-educated salesperson there to tell me all of that stuff. I held that shit in my hand and I felt dirty. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, if you text yeah. me and I see a green text bubble, I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, yeah. you're not even a real person. It's irrational. There's nothing rational about it. But that irrational loyalty is what sustains brands in the long term. Right, right. Rational loyalty. And you create that loyalty by having a soul and demonstrating it with your actions. Your whole thing about actions, you can say as much as you want with these emails. You could say whatever you want in the email, but it's like, what is the email? what are you doing? And it's like, do as I say, not as I do, but we're looking at what you do. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like we're looking at what you do. I think it was Mark Cuban came out like probably two or three weeks ago and he was speaking mostly like to CEOs and he was speaking about yeah. leadership, but, but I, I take away from this for brands as well. Um, and, and that is like what you do during this time, will define you forever. Um, what you do at all times is going to define you forever. What I see, like the great leaders that I see and the great brands that I see, they're doing exactly what I expect them to do. Are they fumbling around? Yes. You know what? 
customers are extending a certain amount of grace. Like here's an example, marketing agency, brand-driven strategy-led marketing firm, right? I sent everybody home at the beginning of March. We've been working from home. We're not the most productive at home because mm -hmm. like, you know, my business really relies on us being together and collaborating and stuff and it's clunky right. and it's awful. And you know what? Some of our operations are not as smooth as, as they were previously. Like I can't walk over to accounting and, and be like, hey, this invoice is screwed up. I'm on the phone, all this kind of stuff. We've right. screwed up a couple of invoices with clients. We've forgotten to invoice things and had to send another invoice, which like makes sure. me absolutely crazy. Yes. But you know, in this time, our clients are extending us a certain amount of grace because we have a positive balance overall mm. in the emotional bank account. Emotional bank account. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think it's important that we've called attention to that because I don't think we think about that bank account we have with people. I mean, there's so many it's like, what's in it for me? You know, it's all about the marketer. And no, it costs zero to send this. I'm just going to send it. But every time you send that bad thing or that thing that isn't helpful, you know, or it's too too much, too soon, and just not not adding value or to their lives. Yeah, yeah, or it's tone deaf. Like I re so so uh, you know I've been I've been doing lots of public webinars. Basically, I I told you this. I've never worked so hard for less money in my life. But <laughs> I firmly believe that there's never been a better time for me to give generously of my expertise because it right. elevates other people. Right. And as a result, I'm having a ton of new business conversations, and we're generating proposals. Like it's happening, yeah. um, and we're drawing people to us. But the interesting thing is, like when I do these webinars, and they're very popular these days, I share the COVID. It's called Hall of Fame, where I share like <laughs> marketing from people who like really have screwed it up. But I also share like, here's some brands that are really doing it right. And so one of the earliest brands uh, that this was a brand move that inspired me uh, was back before we even went on shelter in place here in the United States. And it comes from France. So LVMH, who is the parent company of Louis Vuitton, Christian Dior, and a lot of, you know, these like exquisite European fashion brands. Um, they like this is a brand that people are not patronizing right now like i'm not going out looking for a two thousand dollar handbag right? right however they did one of the best things which was they retooled their perfume factories that make louis vuitton and christian dior perfume to be able to make hand sanitizer and met france's need for hand sanitizer in 72 hours wow. that was a brand move they're not selling anything they're helping people they're showing us their heart they're showing us their true colors right yeah. and so you can bet your ass the next time i'm flushed with cash and i decide that i need i need an irrational an irrational <laughs> you know several thousand dollar handbag sure because like what I eat, what I drink, what I wear, what I carry says something about me, both to myself and to other people, oh, for sure. that's part of it too. But when I'm ready, that's one of the first brands I'm going to go to. So, you know, like what you do in this time, what you do always will, will show the world how, how you truly are. Now on the flip side, like the same day that I heard about that, I got an email from an online retailer um, who also has physical stores that are now closed. And, and this was like right around what would have been spring break time. Mm. So middle of March, right? Middle of March is when here in the, in the Southwest, we start spring break. And uh, the email that I got, the headline on the email was, stay K is better than vacay. Mm. And I, I was like, F all because this is anything but a stay K. Yeah. This is a global pandemic. I received it on the day the WHO uh, declared 
coronavirus, a global pandemic. The next day I received an email from Costco that was like, hey Deb, I know you bought those 12 legal pads last week. Could you give us a star rating? I was like, I have bigger fish oh, to fry than rating my purchase of 12 yellow legal pads from Costco. So, um, you know, what you do in this time, and I, and I believe both of those message, the staycay is better than vacay, and then Costco's message to me, I believe that those are victims of marketing automation. Mm. And what I'm telling people right now, I love marketing automation, right? Like you and I both make lots of money from marketing automation. Hell yeah. I love marketing automation. Turn it off. Turn it off right now. Now is the time to humanize communication. Mm. Go into your marketing automation. Look at your sequences that are scheduled out for the next couple of months and make sure that there are no little Easter eggs lying in there that are going right. to offend somebody. Yeah, like chaos. pause that shit, right? Like, right, right. Slow so, your roll, people. Yes, <laughs> you're, pause you're, that yeah. shit. Yes. People might have just overlooked and been like, oh, that's helpful or not and just moved on. But during this time, you're right. You're going to be sensitive. Your cute joke about being healthy is probably not cute anymore. No, so, no. Yeah. And then, you know, things that are like, you know, coming ashore fast and, and whatever. It's oh, like, who did that, know, like, right? Be careful of Corona the metaphors. Did that, I think, right? Like, just, it, it's just, I'm just telling everybody. Turn off the marketing automation, go in and look at your, go in and look at your content. And when I say marketing automation, I'm not just talking about like your email sequences. I'm talking about any pre-programmed social that you have getting ready to go. So most offensive thing. So I'm scrolling through Instagram one afternoon and um, I mostly I follow dogs, cats, and food on Instagram. Ah, nice. So like, Good there categories. you go, you know everything you need to know about me, right? So <laughs> I'm going through and like directly under the appeal from like a local restaurant that I'm a huge fan of, they're basically saying, they're like, we have to close our doors. Um, we like, we can't afford to retool our entire business to become a takeout business. We don't have any other sources of funding, but if you, if, if we mean anything to you as a restaurant going public, will you please buy some gift certificates because we hope to open in the future. So this plea, like this very vulnerable, authentic, open plea from a restaurant that I love directly below it, there's an ad for a company that creates business plans for restaurants. And so the ad says, like, get your free custom restaurant opening business plan. I got a restaurant business plan for you right now. Don't open one. Right. Right. And, and so that's the, you know, now is the time yeah. to humanize everything. And it really, it all goes back to this idea that a brand is this set of values and beliefs. And it's this magnet that attracts to it people who share values and beliefs that are similar. Like my values and beliefs are that now is the time to humanize communication and humanize marketing. And we all know, and I'm an amazing copywriter, I'll say it myself, like I can write some very, very human, authentic, vulnerable open, very clear content. I can do that. It, however, that's not necessarily everything that's in my evergreen nurture sequence right now. Right. 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 Yeah. Huh. Did I take us too far off track? It's all. No, right. no, I love it. I mean, you know, and it, it needs to be said, I just, it, what we do now echoes, right? It's a whole gladiator. What you do in life echoes in eternity. What <laughs> you do during COVID is going to echo your brand. I mean, it's like in, and it's good. It just magnifies it. So I, mean, I ranted about a brand that had this email that came in and said, we care. It was another partner. What did you not care before? Similar to, was similar to us, right? It was just yeah. like, so I, we could have sent this email ourselves, which is why I was so pissed because it was like holding myself to a higher standard. We care, big banner at the top. We care, which is also a core value of my company. 
because we do care. And then it's like, hey, COVID-19, doing all the keyword stuff in the first paragraph. And it's like, we're here to help you. Here's a pricing table of our services you can buy. And I was like, you sons of bitches. Like, like you're just using the keywords and using we care, which I'm sensitive to. And you're like, here's our prices. So I like screenshot of that shit, put it on LinkedIn. I bleeped I out their name. Like, so I, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this for free. Like, you send me a shitty email, I'm outing you on social media, right? I thought about doing that. I really did, but then I covered it up. I don't know. Well, you know what? I'm the I'm the brand dominatrix. I, you know, I'm gonna. You are. You know, I should take a page out of your book. You know, because hardcore marketing. But it does not like work for your me. brand personality, right? You yeah. seem like a really, really nice, genuine person. Yeah, I'm a nice guy. I think. Yeah, but, I think you're I, a very. I think yeah. you're a very nice guy. But well, you, you know, know, on Monday I did call someone who spammed me and said, "Don't do this. This is not good." He's like, "Well, oh, it wasn't spam. I just sent this email to a few people." I was like, "No, this is this is terrible. This gives you a bad reputation. Please never do this." You know, and I don't know, but it was so still nice. I, believe- I wasn't mean. You might have yelled at him. Uh, no, I wouldn't have yelled at him. I, I might have made, I might have condemned him to hell and had him <laughs> to the trip, which is more my style. Like I once fired a guy and he was like, I feel like I just got fired. And I was like, yeah, you did. Um, but, you know, so, so on that, I think it's still okay to market and sell. I do. But you have to do it through a lens of helping versus selling. And that requires you to ask the question, like first you have your ideal customer in mind and you ask the question of how can I be indispensable to this person at this time? Because there are still things that people need to pay for and and that they're willing to purchase. The time for rampant customer acquisition is coming. A lot of us see see opportunity coming from what's going on here. And I will caution everybody about not using the word opportunity because this is anything but an opportunity for most people. A lot of us are very sheltered. Like I'm not feeling food insecure I'm not feeling like I can't keep a roof over my head right. there are many people who are thinking that so like when I say I see opportunity here you know my neighbor may not see opportunity so it's right. really important the choice of words when you're yeah. when you're doing this and this is all part of your brand right, right. but the time you know like you you may have something that people need so that company that sent you their pricing sheet like what they didn't do was what are my big rules of crisis communication first show regard for humanity right? Casey, Casey, we know, like, we know this is a difficult time and you may be frustrated, anxious, and worried about these things right now with regard to what we're doing, right? Like acknowledge humanity, acknowledge the current situation. Also acknowledge the fact that I'm part of your community, right? Focus on me, right? And then, you know, uh, help me understand what you are going to do that makes you indispensable to me. So quick story. I've got a really good friend. He's an EO member. He owns a chain of eco-friendly dry cleaners, among other things. But the dry cleaners, like when we all went home, our need for dry clean only stuff went way down, right? And yeah. he's like, this is going to like kill my business. You know, what can I do? And I said, well, let's ask the question. How can you be, how can you be indispensable to people at this time? Well, you know what? I'm in my dining room. And I moved into this house in September and I haven't changed anything in this room, including the dingy drapes that have probably been hanging here for 25 years, right? Like I'm at home, I'm concerned about cleanliness. This is my, this is my life for the next yeah. six months. Like, you know, let me know that, that also, I, you know, I, did you know that you can clean drapes and comforters and pillows and, right. and you know, soft things around your house. Did you know that you can get these things clean? Likewise, he's a guy, he has a business, he has delivery vans and drivers, right? Right. And 
you know, we may not be like sending out our shirts and, and, you know, our jackets and our dresses and things like that for dry cleaning right now, but he has a network of delivery vans and drivers. How he, how can he make use of those? Oh, well, you know what? Some of these restaurants that are not able to deliver food, look, they've got a built in driver network and it elevates both brands, right? And so that's what I mean by retooling the factory and, and focusing on your, on your own community. I believe, that you can, I believe that you can sell. You have to sell by bringing people to you, not going to them. And, and so yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you gave that example of that pricing email. Like I, I've been offended by things. Like my daughter is a college student. She lives in a college apartment. And they sent me, you know, we are all in this together email, like the we care bullshit that basically the key message was, we care so much, we're making it possible for you to pay rent online. Oh, wow. Thanks, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you really care? No, you give zero shits. You care about you. You don't give a shit about me. You don't give a shit about like this poor college age, 22 year old student who who lives in a college apartment, who is going through like one of the most adult things that anybody should ever go through before adulthood. And you're telling me that like, you care so much that you're making it possible so I can pay her rent online. Like, you know, I, I would much rather hear like, how are you helping? How are you helping students cope? How are you protecting their safety? How are you, you know, like, what are you doing to serve, you know, what are you doing to serve us as the buying public? So So, like I said, like you don't have to completely stop selling and marketing, but if I connect with you on LinkedIn, like you send me a connection request and we become friends and then immediately you bombard me with one of those automated messages inviting me to join your fucking mastermind, we're done. (laughs) Well said. And with that, my question to you is, who are you? Where did you come from? How did you become this queen of brand, this like slayer of bad marketing? Like, can you take us back to like little Deb days? What was it like being you? Where did you grow up? Who are you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. So I'm a product of like, you know, people consider it the Midwest. It behaves partially Midwestern, but partially Mid-Atlantic. And so lived there as a little kid and then lived in, lived in New York and New Jersey as like a very little kid. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, like the most formative years, they, they say that the beginning of conscious memory is about four years old. Okay. Right. And so like my earliest memories are from the time that like my dad worked in New York City and we lived in the New Jersey suburbs and my father took a train in to work in his office in the World Trade Center every day. And we dropped him off at the station in, in this like really shitty car. And um, my, my entire life has been... Um, I'll say like from early childhood, everything in my world has been measured in terms of productivity, right? My, my parents are very productive people. Um, it, you know, here's another thing, like you probably hear this, you probably hear this from other people who have a similar background. So my family is Eastern European Jewish. Mm. Um, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. My, my father is really? a Holocaust survivor. They're oh, also survivors wow. of the Hungarian revolution. Um, they came to the United States, like in the middle fifties, early sixties. And, and that immigrant experience is also part of what formed me where I have a very, um, I have a very sort of practical, pragmatic, peasant-like view of the world, right? So, you know, I grew up in the household where we didn't have name brand stuff, 
And this, like, this is part of the story of yeah. how I, how did I yeah. come to be like obsessed with brands? Like yeah. we didn't have name brand stuff. My dad liked the generics. We shopped at Aldi. Like my dad would drink beer out of a white can that said beer on it. Literally. Really? Um, kind of yeah, like lost. Know. It was like, this is beer. This is butter. Right. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's what we meant by generics. We're not even talking like storehouse brands, like truly generics. And there was like a pride, there was a pride in that and the fanciest food we ever had in our house. And don't get me wrong. We were not poor. I didn't want for anything. My dad was an executive at the phone company. My mom was wow. a very successful CPA with a very entrepreneurial CPA practice, highly, highly educated people, right. but very pragmatic and, and non-brand conscious. And then another couple of interesting things were that um, I, I had never eaten at a McDonald's until I was a freshman in college. Wow. We, if we ever ate out at a restaurant, it was like a really special occasion, like right. my high school graduation, or I snuck away because my parents bought me a car when I was 16, um, which is, a, it's an interesting existence to be like the, the, the contrast of like being that person. I always yeah. tell people, I'm like, you know, the favorite snack in my house was saltine crackers, right? Yeah. I had never eaten until I got married in 1995 to a man who grew up and lived in the Chicago suburbs. I had never eaten this food that people love at Thanksgiving that is green bean casserole. Like I didn't even know that shit existed wow. because my parents were like, they were like oddly straddling the old world and the new world. Yeah. And it's not like it wasn't money. Cause like an executive. No, no. That was like, they just wanted to like save or just be very. I, I think that they were not fanciful people. Okay. Like I, and, and the essence of brand is that it's mm. something that elevates our self-concept and it yeah. tells a story about us to other people. I mean, the yeah. choice to be brandless is a, you know, is a brand itself. Right. Yeah. But I don't think my parents were conscious of it. I think my parents were, like my parents very much emphasized experience. They emphasized people over profits, it, yeah. you know, all, all of those yeah. kinds of things. They're just very principled, just really, really educated, very smart people. Like, you know, my dad, uh, you know, he learned English in like six months or something like that, then went to undergrad for engineering, went to law school, got an MBA. My mom was like the first female chemical engineering student at the University of Cincinnati. Like, you know, right. like incredibly smart people, very well educated. And I think that they just didn't have that sort of brand thing. So then here, here I come, you know, it, like getting into high school. And then all of a sudden I'm like out from the watchful eye of my parents, which I don't think they were watching. I don't think they were watching. Watching. I don't think they yeah. were trying to keep me from brands. They just didn't bring us around. No. Yeah. Yeah. So like freshmen in high school or sophomore in high school, like, you know, starting to make friends with cars are like, let's go to McDonald's. I'm like, what's that? Right. And, um, I, I, was that world changing when you had that little, little tiny mini hamburger and you're like, what kind of witchcraft is in this thing? Well, let me tell you. So this is a little <laughs> bit of trivia. I have never eaten a McDonald's hamburger. What? Well, like a McDonald's count? hamburger has never crossed my lips. Now I've eaten enough fries. Like I've eaten my body weight in fries. Um, yeah, I've right. also, I've also had the famous seal sandwich, otherwise known as the filet of fish. Uh, and, <laughs> Only you know, on Fridays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and then chicken McNuggets and things like that. My daughter is a chicken sandwich enthusiast. Actually, she has an entire like 
Instagram like perma story that's just her eating McChicken sandwiches, which is hilarious. <laughs> but so so you know, being like starting to be exposed to brands, I was this interesting student of brands. Yeah. Right. Because I was like coming from the outside. I was like, oh, you know, what is this? And I experienced this irrational loyalty through the eyes of other people. And right. Because you were kind of immune to it. Well, not immune, but you hadn't been exposed. So you were able to really observe people yeah. going goo goo for certain things. Like, yeah. And I'm like, what is this shit? This looks like it tastes horrible. Like that's <laughs> why I, the, the whole idea of a McDonald's hamburger. I literally have never had one, even though I know that that's like the what about thing. A Big Mac. Have you had a Big Mac? No. No. But you know, they're the hot stays hot. There's an extra the bun in cold. there. Two off then, beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, yeah. onions on a sesame seed bun. Like, it's this big. No, thank you. So it's bigger than I am. We should do some research next time we're at an event together. I know, right? You're going to have to, like, you, you will first have to get me drunk or high. <laughs> or get me well, it, it is good drunk food. I mean, because White Castle is, like, really good. Um, Sliders, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you yeah, had those? We had, we had those. We, we don't when have I say, I, When I say really good, I don't mean really good food. I mean really good when you're intoxicated. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the choices that you make when you're intoxicated, like maybe those are the real choices. I don't know. But you know, so anyway, I like live this, like, not a forced brand existence, but it just was like, you know, yeah. a happenstance, you know, non brand existence. And then I get exposed to other people and I and like, and I have a curiosity about it. Then I decided to go to college. And when I, when I went away to college, like two things, first, I was like, I want to be a doctor. Cause you know, like mm -hmm. I, I'm the, I'm the daughter of a, of a Jewish lawyer and a Jewish accountant. All we need is a doctor. And I have a brother who's a rocket scientist. So, right. so like we needed a doctor to fill it out. I went to undergrad. I took like my first like my first class where you had to, you know, we, we had to actually dissect something. Mm. And I found I'm not good with bodily fluids. Like not at all. Like I they can't even try to drain those, don't they? Like frogs and shit. They try to drain that I mean, out. So you don't have feral pigs, frogs, cats. Like God. it was the cat that sent me over. Why the do they have us do that in school anyways? Like, I don't even understand. Like I'm not going to be a doctor. Why do I need to see the inside of this creature? Well, I thought I was going to be a doctor, so I oh, needed to see the inside of the creature, right? Got you know, it, okay. And and so that lasted an entire semester, like the you know the anatomy class from hell. And then I was like, all right, <laughs> I need to I need to find something else to do with my life. And what I found was what I found was journalism. So I um, I I found journalism and. and what I wanted to be, it was more like who I wanted to be. I wanted to be Jane Pauley. I wanted to be Barbara Walters. I wanted to be Connie Chung. I don't know if you remember who these people are. I think you're younger than I am. Um, but like, I wanted to go into broadcast journalism. And so uh, I, you know, I changed my course of study and, and I, I, I continue to be like an observer of the world. Yeah. And also I think that's where I really honed the storytelling skills and so much about journalism is applicable to branding, marketing, communication, because like if I look at like what my, what my role is now and how I, how I serve brands, it's by helping them uncover their core DNA mm. and then articulate that in a way that's most meaningful to their audience, right? And, and I learned that by studying journalism and then being like early in my career of being a journalist. And, um, you know, the thing that happens, like people who worked in journalism in the, in the early nineties, which is when I came out into the world, we didn't make much money, not at all. Like I could barely make enough money to live and I needed to get a corporate job. Plus I wanted to move, like I went, I wanted to move to a big city. I was like, I need like New York, Chicago, LA. I need to go to one of these places. Well, hold on. You went to school in Miami? 
I went to school. I went to school in Oxford, Ohio, at okay. Miami University. Oh, uh, so it was it was remote. The Harvard of the West. Oh, gotcha. Okay, because I was gonna yeah. say like that would have been like culture shock to go from like no brands to being like brands everywhere. Yeah, I know, you. right? Like South Beach. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, so so I went from Oxford, Ohio, to. Um, you know, I was like, I need to go, I need to go to a big city. Cause like, yeah. the, I, I was like, I either need to go to a big city to be a journalist so that I can get into a major market. Mm-hmm. And the job that I had, I was running, <laughs> I was running the assignment desk at the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati. And I was doing it overnight. And like my wow. big claim to fame was if there was nobody there to report on a story, say a car crash or, or a gun, a gunshot wound or a murder. I was the person who had to like run out and you know, report the story. Basically, wow. I stood up my camera TV and I held star. onto my microphone and I shot my own stand-ups, right? It was like not very glamorous at all. Like when shit was going down in the middle of the night, Deb Gabor was reporting on it, right? Nice. And um, for that for that privilege, I made the paltry sum of like $13,000 a year. And I was oh, like, geez. screw that, right? Yeah. So um, I thought, how can I parlay these skills into some kind of a corporate job, right? Right. And, you know, I ended up like basically becoming a corporate storyteller, if you will. I joined the, you know, corporate communications organization of like one of the largest companies in the world. Mm. And that, you know, also it turns out like, here's a thing that you probably have picked up about me, which a lot of EO members like have this thing, like any job I ever had, I became the boss very quickly. They're like, she's the youngest, least experienced person here. She should be the boss. Right. And um, so I went through like this leadership training and development program for eight years at this massive corporation. And I learned business. Like I learned it from the inside out um, because I did like basically every function of this company for like Mm -hmm. a rotation. And, and so the company was AT&T and, and what I learned was it was this incredible, powerful global brand. And the culmination of that was when I got my last assignment at AT AT&T, which was to manage the AT&T sponsorship of the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so if you remember the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, that's when Richard Jewell set off a bomb. I didn't remember the name, but I remember there was the bombing in the Atlanta Olympics. Yeah. Yes. And where it occurred was next to the AT&T stage. Oh, it was, yeah, it was in some park. It was near the AT&T it's, stage. The, it's Centennial Park. And it was like right park. near the AT&T right. stage. And, and this was the this was the moment. This was like the pivotal moment where I I like really learned that thing that people are looking to brands for leadership, right? And it, it was from that point forward that my entire like career trajectory changed. So that was my last job at AT and T. What about that experience? What kind of leadership were they looking for at the at the very moment they were looking to the stage for help or are you saying in general no, no, no. just like in general how should yeah. we think how should we feel how should we act in the same way we're like looking at these tv commercials that are like they all start with the slow piano music yeah. and people outside clapping for the first you know the frontline workers and all that kind of stuff we're like looking for them to tell us how should we feel how should we think how should we act and and at&t being a major sponsor major major sponsor like at the time i lived in atlanta for a year working on this sponsor sponsorship like in that moment 
I, I was like, this is our do or die moment as a brand, right? How the brand shows up, our leadership during this time, you know, what we take responsibility for, which none of it was AT&T's responsibility, but the way right. AT&T showed regard for humanity, the way that AT&T behaved, the way that AT&T jumped in to fulfill the needs for communication at the time. Remember the yeah. question, how can we be indispensable to people at this time? Oh, we do telecom, let's help right? Yeah. All of those kinds of things, like it, 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 it ignited something in me. And then I, I went to the high tech industry because my next opportunity, I worked for a company. I don't know if you remember who these guys are, but they were the first people to put people on the internet. They made a 9,600 baud modem, dial up modem. They were called us robotics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I went there, I was a very early employee there. It's a funny and name for a company that doesn't really make robots, you know? Yeah, this branding, right? Yeah. yeah. And the name came from the book, iRobot. And, you know, there's like, there, there was like, you know, sort of legendary mythology behind the brand and Casey Cowell, the, the founder, like he was one of the early, like sort of wacky tech leaders. And he would ride around our, he would ride around our facilities, like on a scooter and he would stop at people's cubes and, and, you know, offer you a hundred dollars if you could recite the core values and all that kind of stuff. It was like really like the stereotypes would. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Okay. And so this was the go-go days of the tech industry. So yeah. this was like 1997 that I joined this company and I was like the very first brand person because technology marketing, B2B technology marketing. And I worked on the B2B side of the business, mm. which was like, you know, cable head end and enterprise remote access. So not, not consumer modems, but like preparing telecom carriers to be able to do data communications, preparing enterprises to be able to do remote access, VPNs, all that kind of stuff. The early, early, early days when the highest speed you could get out of a modem was 128K. Wow. Yeah. But I was one of the very first brand people there. And it was a, um, it, you know, it was this, this great experience where I got to sort of like blaze trails. And I'm like, all right, we're no longer just a product company. We, we actually have a relationship with customers because one thing that was technology marketing then that is still widely technology marketing is um, the analogy of we sell a better mousetrap, right? Yeah. And so technology marketing is like telling people about this is why our mousetrap is better. Look at these <laughs> hinges. Look at this thing, which what I learned at US, Robotic, US Robotics was that the selling a better mousetrap meant that you had to sell people on the idea that mice are a problem and that they had mice, which changed the dynamic of marketing. Like I originally started as a product marketer. I appointed myself brand marketer after that because I was like, we are only going to differentiate. So if you think about who our competitors were at the time, companies like Cisco, companies like 3Com, which actually ended up buying us, you know, wow, okay. right? All, all of these things. I'm like, if we're going to exist in this world and we're, we are going to, you know, create a, a lasting impact for customers, we have to be something more than plumbing for the internet, right? Right. And, and so that was like my first experience, like going from product marketing to being a brand marketer. Then, you know, the, so, so that's like B, I call that BA before agency. So I worked yeah, on the yeah, client yeah. side for the first like 10 years of my career. Right. Right. Then I, I, on a boondoggle, I wanted to come visit Austin, Texas, where my younger brother was getting his PhD at the University of Texas in rocket science. He's like, Austin's really cool. You need to come down here. It's really neat. You know, it's, cool, it's a one man. horse town, but I think you'll like it. It's really funky. Um, I opened myself up to recruiters. I was like, what the heck? Why not? And a company from Austin, which happened to be a brand strategy and research consultancy, specifically serving the technology industry. Wow. 
Yeah. They were like, we need people with client side experience who can speak client, who can interpret research and help clients be able to use it in an effective way in their businesses. And I was like, wow. oh, but I'm, I'm the ideal customer for that. You're the ideal customer for me. So like, you know, I actually, I took an, I took a job interview cause I wanted a free trip to Austin to visit my bro. Yeah. And, and what I ended up with was a whole new life. And so I worked for that company. They, they were called IntelliQuest. They were purchased by Millward Brown, uh, part of Kantar Media, which is a division of WPP. Okay. Okay. Wow. And this like starts the process. Like those of us who have been in the agency business that haven't always been independent agencies, we either worked for WPP Media Square or Omnicom or Publicis. Oh, right? I get it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So like I sort of, you know, kind of maneuvered around in that environment. And then I went to another agency which they were called Cunningham Communication. And what they were was strategic communication and brand positioning specifically for technology companies, right? Wow. And I honed my skills there. Everything I learned was from this woman, Andy Cunningham, who has written a really great book that everybody should read. And it's called Get to Aha, huh. where she talks about mothers, really missionaries, and mechanics. And you should get her on your show. Okay. Um, but, and, and tell her, Deb Gabor says she learned everything from her. But, you know, I learned everything from her in terms of being, being an entrepreneur, being a woman entrepreneur, um, being just like an incredible, inspirational, like very smart, very human, feeling, caring, authentic, heart-centered leader. Um, but I also learned a lot about just the essence of becoming part of the people who use your product in one of the most difficult categories there is to create a brand. Right. Yeah. And um, wow. then 2001, September 11, 2001 happened. Uh -huh. And and that was like, this is like, this was the pivotal moment for me. And this is how I became an entrepreneur. A lot of people became entrepreneurs out of this. Um, but, you know, September 11th occurred. Uh, I, we went from being the agency that clients would hire for fifty to $100,000 a month budget, sight unseen, like just with a phone call to like, begging for business, wow, yeah. right? And in 2002, so uh, September 11th, like fast forward to like January, hey comment, it's my dog. The, the trials and tribulations of working from home. Know, 2002, right? January 2002, we have this company meeting where we fly the entire company, all several hundred people to Monterey, California, where we basically buy out the entire town. We literally are giving away Volkswagens to employees for recruiting people and stuff like that. We get home from that meeting on Sunday night. I come to the office on Monday morning. My boss pulls me in and he was like, we got to let 72 people go from this office today. Tomorrow you're flying to Silicon Valley and doing the same thing. The next day you're flying to Cambridge and doing the same what? thing. What? After this massive party? Which, like, some of that shit's happening right now, too. I mean, think about EO, you know, $7 million worth of events that have to be canceled and all this kind of stuff. It was a very bad yeah. time. So, so in, in one fell swoop, my boss promoted me to, like, EVP and mm. said, he's like, I'm stepping down. He's like, I'm stepping down. You're reporting directly to the CEO. And for your first move, you got to lay all these people off, right? Oh, my goodness. I, I suffer, I legit suffer PTSD from that experience of having to let those people go. And, yeah. and when this Corona Michigas started a couple yeah. of weeks ago, I, I, I was feeling those PTSD feelings because it felt very similar to like that post 9-11 thing. That is the, yeah. so that's the entire reason I have my own company. 
And, and that's so that I can be in the driver's seat. I get to say like, and, and this is my, maybe my entrepreneurial control freak nature, but I get to say like, I get to say when people go and come, right? right. I, I never want to be in that situation where I feel so out of control that yeah. I feel like so much has been taken from me um, because like I, 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 value, I value people over profits, right? Yeah. And, and, and going back to brand, I had to behave in a way that like was not in accordance with my values and beliefs and my integrity was compromised in those moments. My integrity was also compromised when like when my new boss came in after another acquisition and told me that we were going to do business with a with a tech business called Ashley Madison and I don't know if you remember what yeah. Ashley Madison was but you know, this was a site where, where famous guys could cheat on their wives with you know like basically Tinder for leches and right. Um, I, I decided so, I just never want right. to be in a situation where I have to compromise my integrity for somebody else's business. Right. It sounds like a, like a massive core values difference. Like, and did you have to lay off the 70 plus 70, plus, like all individual, like you one at a time kind of thing. So yeah. your weeks were just blocked off with just having to be the bearer of bad news for days on end. Have you, have you seen that movie up in the air with George Clooney? I have. Yeah. It was a little bit like that. It was like that. It was gross. I so so the day like when I had to lay off the people in the Austin office, which basically was like ninety percent of the Austin office. Yeah. Like so, you know, my boss was in the office, which we had those fishbowl offices that were like uh, along the corridors. People sat by the windows. You know, mm -hmm. like the you know the people like sat in cubes by the windows so that they could get the natural light, and then we sat in these fishbowl offices with the glass like the glass doors and windows. Right. And so he was sitting, he was sitting in the room and I would go out and I would do like the death march and I would like go get a person and bring them in. They started figuring out what was going on. And so every time I walked towards someone's desk, like people would burst into tears when they saw me. Oh goodness. Right. Yeah. And I have a strong need for approval from other uh, people. I'm with you. And like it, you're putting this position as like the, grim reaper mm -hmm. no people would literally burst into tears if they made eye contact with me and and it was like i have a couple pivotal moments like in eo you know we do we do the we do the lifeline yeah like that was yeah. a low on my lifeline but it was a high on my lifeline because it really shined a light on what my core values are yeah and it really demonstrated to me that the reason that i needed to have a company where I was in charge of like what are, you know, how we honored those beliefs and values and that I was able to like screen in and bring to me people who are aligned with those beliefs and values and, yeah. and have them like jump in my boat with me and, and support me and all that kind of stuff. Like that's when everything changed. And so the, and, and I started my company in 2003 uh, and I have never looked back. So you know, that that's what's been going on this, this whole time. And, you know, my biggest struggle today, and I don't know if this is part of what's interesting to you. My biggest struggle today uh, actually is being like really magnified by what's going on right now during COVID mm. time. And, and that is like, I was made for this moment. Like I was, I was like many entrepreneurs are, I, I was made for what's going on right now. Like I love being the hero. I, I love helping other people. Um, as a result, 
being an agency owner who, who loves the work so much and loves the people so much and loves being a hero, like all the work that I've done over the past couple of years to reduce my company's reliance on me, like I'm undoing that today because the company is hundred percent reliant on me. And so like, if you would ask me like, what's one thing that I have a lot of anxiety about, it's that, you know, I was getting to the place where really like I personally was going to reach escape velocity that I, you know, that I, it, I had scheduled for the next six months, literally to be out of the office at speaking engagements, running right, workshops, right. you know, like that's how I make most of my money, selling books, talking, all that kind of stuff, whatever. That's what I was going to do for the next six months. Instead, I dived back into my business and I was like, give me this. And now this is how I'm going to, you know, here's how I'm going to elevate other people through the use of the brand. And as a result, like I am in many ways, like unraveling that good work that, that I've done over the past couple of years. I'm anxious about that, but the good news is like the team is aligned. They're hundred percent behind me. Um, they, you know, they're, they're in it with me. Uh, I've seen some real superheroes emerge, you know, yeah. from people that I didn't even realize like had it in them. And I was right. like, Oh, you know, it really shows some, you. Yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's yeah. But it, and it also shows me people who are like, they, you know, they just, they, they would really like us to get over this and maybe they need to go find another place to work. Mm. It has shown me those people too. Sure. And it's a, you know, it, it's a really, really interesting time. And so like back to what Mark Cuban said, like what you do in this time is going to define you. It's going to define you as a leader. It's going to define you as a brand. Absolutely. I have a question for you based on all this. I mean, what an amazing story. And thank you for sharing the, like the, the highs and lows of that line. If you were hypothetically able to use a time machine, because I may have one in Nashua, New Hampshire. You can't use it now because of COVID, but this clears up and you can, you can use it and go back in time to talk to yourself right when you're beginning your career. Maybe you just got out of school and you're about to travel some big city and do your thing. What, what kind of things would you tell yourself? How, what would you advise yourself knowing what you know, having done all those things? So it's so interesting because I almost feel like because I have a 22 year old college senior who yeah. I'm getting ready to sort of help launch into the world, the things that I'm sharing with her are the things that I would share with myself, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which she's a musical theater major in college. I think we talked about this yeah. when we first met. Totally. And she's incredibly passionate about her work and she's a super super talented human and just a really really hard worker and um I, my my entire life has been around like has been about creating a world where she could pursue what she's most passionate about and so you know, like all the risks that other people see in getting a BFA in fine arts, specifically in musical theater. I, I was like, tune all that shit out, right? It's just shit. Like my father, my father, the attorney slash engineer, my, my father, the smartest man I know, he's like, does she have a fallback thing? Is she a double major? Does she have a thing? And like, I find myself being like, you know what? I, I created a life where she can pursue what she wants. And, and it is, it, it's in my power to make sure she pursues her dreams. So like right. with that as the backdrop, if I could go, if I could get into the time machine and go back, the one thing that I would do would be to look at what I was applying to undergraduate institutions to do and not waste my time trying to be something that I could never be that wasn't true to me to please someone else. Like I really thought like if I, if I go pre-med and I become a doctor, 
then I will have the love and adoration of my father. He will, he will finally be proud of me. Right. Right. And that's, that's garbage. It's head trash. Right. Totally. And, and even if you did, you, you'd end up probably hating what you're doing and not being passionate about it, not being successful because you're not in, in the groove and, and probably resenting him for it the whole time too. Right. Right. I just wish that I, you know, (laughs) <laughs> that's what I would go back and rewind. And like I said, I'm fortunate. I have a 22 year old senior in college who's supposed to graduate next month. Right. Who I have undone all of the doing I did to myself by passing on that gift to her. <laughs> and sure. I can actually, you know, okay, so this is a shitty time to graduate with a degree in Broadway. Right. Right. Which is basically what she has a degree in. We joke around. I'm like, yeah, she's, she's got a major in waitressing. It, it, <laughs> it's a time to have a major in waitressing, isn't it? Right. However, like, you know, she has a leg up on pursuing her passion because like I learned the lesson from, you know, where, where I thought that I had to hold myself to a standard that by the way, my father never said you should become a doctor or mm-hmm. I won't be proud of you if you're not a doctor. This was just stories I made up for yeah, myself. Right? I was my high school valedictorian. I graduated first in my class. I thought I was destined for big things. You know, I thought that there was a standard that I needed to live up to. I needed to go to an Ivy League university or something really damn close to it. I ended up staying in Southern Ohio because my mother was sick with cancer and I wanted to be close by. And she ended up dying three years ago. I regret nothing about that. Right. Not a thing. I, I, I regret nothing about my past. But if I, if I did have the opportunity to like, just turn one thing, it might've given me a leg up of about six months, but I'm still doing, I'm still doing exactly what I'm meant to be doing at this right. point. Right. see, having explained that now it makes sense when you're describing how, like when you're doing the dissections, you're like, this is not for me. It's a bigger deal. Like for me, I'm like, yeah, I could do without this. But if you're like, shit, I'm supposed to be a doctor and I don't really like this. What do I do? That would be a little bit more of a traumatic experience. To, like, I really want to seek this love. I think I got to go this way, but I really don't want to do this stuff. Yeah. So, so like, this is why I didn't want to dissect a cat. This was the cat that tried to climb on the keyboard. Before. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I should have known about myself that I wasn't going to be able to open up a cat, right. like that I was going to be open, able to open up a dead cat without its skin. That's like pinned to some wax in a pan. Oh and, God. Right. Do you know what I mean? And, and like, this is know yourself, like know yeah. yourself. Totally. It, yeah. And I think about things like always on my report cards when I was in elementary school, it was like, Deborah talks too much. Deborah finishes her work and then she entertains everybody else. And she's a massive distraction. I have created a career out of talking for a living. Right. Yeah. And so, it, you know, just if I could have been more true to myself, but as a young person, we, we don't give ourselves permission for that because we don't know that we're allowed to do that. So the best thing that I'm showing my daughter, who is like, you know, a fabulous, amazing human being, the best thing that I'm showing her is like, I'm living my best life. I'm like, yeah. I'm just doing it. I put it out there. I give zero fucks. And, you know, I, I know who my ideal client is. I know who my ideal right. customer is in life and in business. And I, and I align my values and beliefs with them. The great thing about that is it's like you said about the, the secret like I've been able to attract the right kind of people who have helped me been be successful. Could I have a bigger company? Yeah. Like could could I could I like double triple our revenues? Probably. I don't know if I'd have as much fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. When everything's in alignment though, it, 
it's fun. It doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like playtime. Yeah. Oprah said, and this quote has been going around in my in my social circles the last couple of weeks. But she said, you know, you know that you're in the right you're you know that you're in in the right career when you'd be willing to do it for free. Okay. And you know, COVID time has shown me like I'm so excited to just give my expertise away generously to other people because it elevates them. I'm like, I'm doing exactly the thing that I should be doing. And you know what, here's a benefit of that. Like it's a time, they call it social distancing. It's actually physical distancing. I'm developing more social closeness. I'm a person that doesn't like, I don't do a good job of developing really deep relationships because I'm fast. I like just, you know, I move from one thing to the next. I have met people like you, which I fully intend to keep up with. Yes, you know, we're going to see each other at EO events. We, you know, if I'm on the East Coast, we're going to get together. I want to meet your family. I, you know, I want to see the rest of that room with the orange wall. I know, like, right? What? Like our color, solar orange. I, you know, all of these things. And so, um, you know, I, I, it's a shitty time, but I, I'm, I'm doing it the best way I know how. Yeah. Yeah, really we control the story. We can, we could make it that, you know, I heard this, like the world is on pause. We can either make the most amazing bit out of it. Like, wow, I focused on my health and my family, my relationships and this and that. Or, I got prison fit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or I just was miserable and just so sad. And, and like, and we just, we have to make it what we can, you know? Mm -hmm, totally. So, I mean, we're witnessing history right now. The friends that you make during this time are probably going to be with you forever. I tell my daughter, Hannah, I'm like, you know what, when you're a granny and you have, you know, you have little, little rugrats, like, you know, running around calling you grandma, you're going to be like, I remember the pandemic. I was 22 years old. I was a senior in college. Like yeah. my life got canceled for, you know, six months or a year or whatever. And then here's yeah. how I flourished during that time. What children are remembering right now is like mom and dad are home mm -hmm. and they are with me. I, I go outside every day and, and take a hike or like a really hot, fast walk because it got really hot here in Austin recently. Um, and, and what I see are like some of the scenes of my childhood, which are like kids outside playing catch mm -hmm. with their dads. Mm -hmm. um, like this down the street from me is this family and they have these three adorable little blonde children. And every day they're out there, either dad has a stopwatch and he's timing them running around the block <laughs> or they're like, they're racing on their bikes. Yeah. And, you know, he's cheering them on and stuff like that. It, these, I, I think we, we've seen sort of a forced return to simpler times. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that we are seeing like what the, what the meaning of true connection is. Um, we're seeing a shift in our values and stuff like that. And, and I am, I am choosing, I'm choosing to take the, the positive side yeah. of this and not be overwhelmed by the negative. 100%. I mean, to, to point about catch, like I've built into the calendar now, like, you know, 30 minutes before I normally would be home, before dinner is ready, like before all that schedule is happening, 30 minutes, now I'm like logging off and going and going to play catch with my son outside because now he can expect that. And I don't know, I just, I probably should have done more of that. And I think it's okay too, though, for, for a week or two, I was kind of in, the middle land of like, I think we we're just all grieving, like mm -hmm. the loss of all this freedom and all this. So I didn't want to play catch or any of that, right. but I think I've sort of come out the other end of that tunnel. And now I'm like, yeah, okay. I gotta get exercise one way or the other. I can't go to the gym, but I can try something else. And I got to play catch. And then I also ordered tap dancing shoes. So my daughter is going to teach me how to do 
tap dancing for better or oh, worse. That's awesome. I'll send you a video. My daughter's an amazing tapper. I, yeah, I would, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Maybe yeah. she has some pointers for me. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think that's all like really, really incredible. And you know, this is the, this is a time like all the way yeah. back to brands, you know, brands, they show you, yeah. they show you what you need to know about them and you are a brand like you are a brand as the leader of your family, right? Your family is a brand. Your family has a set of core values and beliefs. Your, your, your family attracts to it people who share the values and beliefs that are of the people in that family. Like, you know, when you're, you know, when you're hanging out with families, you're like, what the, what the hell's wrong with these people, right? Like, you know this. Yeah. And, and so like, maybe now is a time to like create the family brand, like create the family sure. brand. Uh, you know, list out the family core values, the core purpose, yeah. your mission and your vision, you know, create a brand promise, right? right. And, and use the principles of branding to like create this incredible, memorable connecting experience that you wouldn't otherwise have a chance to create. And I need to make sure I'm not supposed to be on a webinar right now. Ah, you probably so. are. But hey, here, last question for you. Where can people connect with you? Ah, you know what? The easiest way to connect with me is at debgabor.com. Okay. Like, Irrational Loyalty is there. Branding as Sex is there. Like all these webinars that I've been doing, there's replays of those there. There's ways to get free chapters of books. Awesome. There's ways to like book 15 minutes with me. And, and I will say like, call me, email me, get on my calendar. I, I, I'll talk to anybody. Like yeah. clearly like the 14 hours I've just spent with you. Is, uh, I know, right? We could go forever, I, I but yeah, it. we probably have meetings we're all missing, but hey, it's all good, right? Thank you so much for being on here. I really Thank appreciate you. it. I, and, and I appreciate the opportunity. And I, I hope that people get some kind of takeaway from this. Yeah. I, if nothing else, it's really great for me to like put my own experience into context. It really is. Yeah. I, just to even put words to it and get it out there. And, you know, just real quick for everyone listening, if you learn something from this and I damn well know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here and I ran out of space. So I'm in the margins. I know you learned something. So share this with someone else, be a thought leader to one person, two people, 47, 84, you know, 109 people. Just get this to other people's little eyeballs and earballs so they can like learn from this, learn from Deb too. And definitely reach out to her and connect with her as well. So Deb, thank you again. I know we're probably way over time, but it's been a blast. It has been a blast. Thank you so much. And wash your hands, don't touch your face, all the Wash things. your hands, don't touch your eyeballs. All right, people, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. All right, a big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in the chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you and that book will be on its way to your door. All right, we'll see you all in the next one.